Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Companion Gundog Podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Geyer, and with me today, uh, remotely from... Uh, the Great White North is Mike Nadusky. How you doing, Mike? Hey, Grayson. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, it's anything but white yet, but it will be. Uh, it definitely will be here soon. Man, I'm I'm uh, I'm excited for you. Yeah, up in the uh, uh, land of grouse and woodcock and all sorts of other little critters to chase. So, um, congratulations and uh, and definitely expect for us to be living vicariously through you for the at least the early season <laughs> yeah I, I appreciate that i'm i'm actually i'll head to rgs's grouse camp tomorrow um and that'll be my first foray into the woods and i can't wait oh man well, well good for you and and for those listening um our guest today is mike nadusky uh, and i assume most of you if you list, pay any attention to um kind of the upland space and all the bird dog uh podcast that exists out there you've you've probably heard him before he and i have been on i think at least one other podcast together and um and i've heard him on several more but mike uh i'll i'll do a little introduction here and i'll let you fill in the gaps because i'm sure i'll miss something um but mike uh, i guess is originally from uh new england is that correct yes correct okay Right on, and uh, and is well traveled. Spent uh, some of his adult life down here in the Carolinas, which is how we met. Uh, Mike's an ABDA judge, and uh, he got to walk with Pete and I on one of our uh, maybe our less successful UT endeavors a couple of years ago. And and since then, we've kind of uh, been nurturing a friendship, and I've really gotten to respect Mike. He's worked in. Um, in higher uh, higher education, um, and prior to moving into the conservation space, spent the last couple of years working for I think a couple of different conservation organizations. Is that right, Mike? Yeah, primarily Rough Grouse Society and Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. To some of the some of the big guys, and um, and then recently uh, has has jumped headlong into the retail space with the purchase of Ugly Dog Hunting. And, uh, and I'm going to let you go from there, Mike, anything you want to fill in on your background? I think it's, I am fascinated always by what kind of gets people to the place they are in their journey. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm excited to hear a little bit about what you got planned for ugly dog. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, I appreciate the introduction. Um, it's, uh, it's still a bit surreal for me, you know, having, uh, just transitioned into business ownership about a month ago. Um, it's, so it's a, it's still, uh, fresh and, and wild for me. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I got into bird, I grew up a, a deer hunter in New England, candidly, didn't have bird dogs and, um, we got a, a wire hair or a, a, a Deutsche Drachar, uh, in my twenties and fell in love with dog training and bird hunting. And, um, and, and really it was off to the races from there. Um, we got really, really involved in NAVDA, became a NAVDA judge. Um, and it was through that process actually that I had met Terry Wilson, the 
the previous owner of Ugly Dog, um, Ugly Dog Hunting has had a longstanding uh, sponsorship relationship with NAVDA. And so I had met Terry through judging. He was also an NAVDA judge, is also an NAVDA judge, I should say. And uh, it sort of just planted the seed in my brain of, you know, I wonder, you know, what, what he's going to do with this business, you know, when he, as he gets older and, you know, what his plans are for it. And so we sort of nurtured a relationship over time. And, uh, and here we are, you know, I loved my time in the conservation space. That is something that is really at the core of who I am is, is supporting uh, conservation, uh, both personally and, and for my time professionally raising you know, fundraising to ensure that we all have public quality, public places to go hunt and, and fish and whatnot. And, uh, I'm, yeah, we can dive into a bunch of different specifics about ugly dog, but, um, one of the things I'm really excited about as a pillar for the, the company is to continue to support conservation. Terry and his wife, Nancy were huge. Um, they, uh, Terry currently sits on the board of Rough Grouse Society. His wife, Nancy, is a former board member for Pheasants Forever, and I certainly look forward to continuing in their footsteps to support conservation efforts at a, at a large-scale level. Well, that's, you know, I um, it, to me, that's, that's extremely admirable. And, uh, you know, and one reason we are here today is, you know, I knew kind of just from the moment I met you that I, I liked, uh, if you will, the cut of your jib. <laughs> right. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, but it, you've always kind of been a, uh, you know, you're. I, I like your style, like without being overly political and without ever being um, exclusive or, or, you know, in my opinion, kind of turning people off. You are, uh, you're very forward in your beliefs about, you know, uh, where you stand on certain topics and and conservation and, uh, and then of course the. Um, the idea of inclu- inclusivity in the hunting space and, and in particular our space, uh, I think it's a, it's a big one for me too. So I've, I've kind of watched you, uh, for a while and, and, um, and, and certainly developed an admiration for the way you approach, uh, these hard questions in, in our little corner of our industry. And, and so when you got into the, to the business side, I, I was really excited and, and, for I've I've been playing with this podcast for about three years, and I was really big in the early days of saying like, you know, I I have no interest in um in turning this into a commercial endeavor. I'm not looking to to make too much money on my podcast. And as I've continued with the podcast, I I still bear that in mind. I never want to feel like I'm taking this in a commercial direction, but I'm also recognizing um that uh that I would like personally to develop myself as a communicator and work towards that as a, uh, you know, as an ambition or an objective for business in the future and maybe become less of a day-to-day grinder with the dogs, uh, as I get older and slower and fatter and sore, um, <laughs> and, and move more into kind of helping people. And, and the podcast is a great outlet for that. And, um, and just, just, by a great turn of fortune, you know, you and I connected and decided that it, uh, that it would be a good fit, um, for, uh, for you to support this podcast. So I guess we'll make that announcement now that I, uh, I do have one and only one real sponsor of this podcast currently. And, uh, and it's now ugly dog and, uh, and the proprietor, Mike Nadusky. So thank you very much for that, Mike. It's going to help me a lot to kind of continue to produce this thing and not feel the stress of, uh, of the, little bit of cost that it incurs. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, Grayson, it's such a natural fit. I mean, from a philosophical perspective, you know, and this ties into to the conservation ethic for both of us. I say this as a senior judge in ABDA all the time to groups like, what's the point of having a bird dog if there's no wild birds on the landscape? And so, uh, and I think that you as a, as a trainer really feel that too, like the, the epitome of a bird dog and, and why you train is to help people go out and experience the, the incredibleness that is wild bird hunts. And so there's, there's definitely, uh, you know, synergy there as well as, uh, you know, the, the, we both appreciate the truly the companion gun dog aspect and that, you know, hunting season is only four to five months a year, depending on how diehard you are and you're going to live with that dog for the rest of the time. And it's going to be a good, um, you know, a good companion, a good house dog. Um, and so it really is a, isn't for me a natural fit, you know, want to, to get to work with you, a friend of mine, as well as say, so, yeah, I really believe in, in your approach to training um and so i i feel really fortunate to be able to you know support my friends um wow. and to support people that i believe in and um and you know reach audiences that that i think are you know would be that we can both you know help yeah yeah i mean I, that's it i mean i feel i feel exactly the same it's you know i've uh i feel so fortunate to have you know been able to take um something that I'm passionate about and turn it into a career and do so in such a way that I still love it. Um, you know, and that's always, you know, you, you hear both sides of that equation when you start thinking of, uh, of taking that leap, you know, when, when you're, you know, maybe, maybe not young, but just getting started and ambitious and people tell you, you know, you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And then half the other half of the people tell you, you turn it into your job and you're going to hate it and it'll, it'll ruin it and burn, burn you out. And, and the only way to find out, I guess, is to just go out there and, and, and get in the mix and, and try it. And so for me, yeah. um, it, it truly has been the former, it's been a labor of love and I still, uh, you know, my, the, the, those hours laying in bed at night, this is, this, my head rolls around on bird dogs and wild birds and all the things that I love and, and looking forward to the opportunity to go out there and um, kind of express myself through this. And I think, you know, and I'm rooting for you in that regard with this new business endeavor, because I think it's a wonderful platform, uh, not only for you to, to earn a living, but to um, to continue to spread your message and. Uh, and bring people together around conservation and in the bird dog space in, in particular. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, uh, a huge personal philosophy of mine is rising tide lifts all ships. And so the more that we can come together, the more that we can get folks involved um, and help them see what what we truly love and, and why we truly love it, I think that we'd all be, be better off for it. You know, it's, uh, it's timely that we're having this conversation before we, we hopped on this. I was working on a weekly newsletter. So I, a part of um, my way of communicating with the community is, is this sort of weekly newsletter that I've developed and it's, it's pretty short, you know, 300 to 500 words, you know, I, I do enjoy writing. And so I'm, I'm having fun trying to uh, infuse a bit more writing into the business aspect. And it's, you know, just some, a little like, Hey, this is what's going on this week. Um, some thoughts I have, some things to consider, and here's a couple, you know, either products that you should consider or some training tips, things like that. And um, so this week, I um, the 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 theme, you know, coming off the Invitational, the Navda Invitational last week, 
um, is about getting other people involved. Um, and that's something that Navda really does really well of working to include folks and, and, um, you know, serve diverse audiences. And I don't, Grayson, I don't remember if this happened the day that you were there, um, or it might've been the day you arrived. Um, but for the, at least to my knowledge, for the first time, a 12 year old ran a dog in the invitational first time running and the, the him and the dog passed. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, and that was incredible. And this, and this kid, I talked to him like a little bit after lunch, um, after he had done some things and, and, and you know how it is, right? Like you go and you run and unless it's, unless it's perfect, you're like, I got all these questions in my head and he <laughs> was riding the lightning. You could just see it. Like he was oh. in that pavilion pacing back and forth and feeling it, feeling it. And, uh, and he, he ended up passing and, um, you know, got the customary cold bottles of water dumped all over him and um it's so neat just to see, you know to to see somebody that young go you know i i have this dog and my parents told me that i had to take responsibility for it and train it and uh and that was their family's first dog if, if i'm remembering the story correctly and even the parents were like we never thought we would be here <laughs> and uh you know sure enough the kid took the dog to the invitational and passed and, and uh, you know what a, what an amazing accomplishment because um you know as i can attest the, the invitational is is not a gimme for anybody no um, there's just so many ways to fail that test and to know that there's a 12 year old kid out there um, that, that was, that managed to just handle a dog, even if, and I assume he, I, I don't think it's possible to get a dog to that level and then to handle it through that test without an existing relationship with that dog in a, in a, in, in a training capacity. So there's no Absolutely. doubt in my mind that he spent hours and hours and hours with that dog. And then he, he, he tackled um, what truly is, in my opinion, one of the absolute hardest tests I've ever been involved with. I played in a lot of different dog games. And I get that nothing makes me more nervous than the invitational. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's like, and I, I love it. I'm in love with that feeling. Like it's truly kind of, I've, I've, I've spent the last couple of years kind of drifting in and out of NAVDA, almost actively uh, resisting being sucked into the, <laughs> into the <laughs> you know, the NAVDA world. And I just keep sure. finding myself getting sucked in deeper and deeper, but I'm so, so impressed with, with anybody that's on their first dog and it happens quite often, Terry Ann's a great example uh, sure. with, with her dog Zara, uh, Terry Ann Fernando and, and any of those folks that, that there's no, um, I don't think there's a, any better, uh, kind of uh, example of a owner handler relationship than, than making your way through the ranks in NAVDA. Cause it just, it's such a perilous journey <laughs> and you get, yeah. you know, you find yourself there one, one shot, you know, and it's going to go either way. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's completely, um, impressive regardless of who it is, but the fact that it's a 12 year old kid and, and he's, you know, he's one of a couple, you know, we've, our friend Jake, uh, yeah. his daughter Brooke has qualified for next year's and, and mm -hmm. I judged them in a field trial, a UKC field trial last year. And I mean, when I tell you she blew every other team out of the water, I'm not kidding, man. Like there was nobody yeah. even close behind her uh, in her run. Yeah, even her dad. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and well, I, I don't think I ran against her. I think I just judged her. But man, she she was uh, she was tough. And and her and her little dog Rush are going to be uh, kind of a, a 
a team for a, a lot of us out there to chase for years to come. So it's it's a great time. I mean, it truly is. What a wonderful time to be involved in in a game like that that uh, that pr- not only promotes that but gives you know everybody an outlet to go out there and and do well um, and and try and succeed. So it's it's um, I feel like we're living in the good old days right now. Yeah, I mean, there's so much. Yeah, the power of the internet and the bird dog community is not only has it brought people together, but it has has brought information to the forefront that in the past was very safeguarded and not necessarily intentionally. Um, But it just, you know, everybody has their methods and they stick to them. And unless they put the effort into writing a book or, or something like that, that that information didn't get shared. And now, you know, um, I'm a big proponent of the saying, you know, there's only two things that that uh, are only one thing that two dog trainers will agree upon. And that's what the third one's doing wrong. Right. You know, there's so many, uh, there's, there's so many ways to train a dog and they all work. It's just depending on what works for the dog. And so now, you know, there is, we've almost gone the other way from the pendulum, right. Of like, so little information to arguably way too much information. And this is where, you know, from, from your perspective as a trainer and, and my perspective as a as like a gear supplier, I'm really looking forward to to being a a guide along that journey of like, all right, you know, here is here is ways that you can do certain things, and here is gear that will help you do it if you're going to do it this particular way. I'm not saying that this way is the right way or the wrong way, um, but it, it you know if you're going to follow a particular method, here's how to do it, and here are the things that can help you do that. You know, you and I have talked about like uh, like pinch collars or prong collars and and how do you utilize those in in a relationship with your dog or you know are you going more towards like a belly band for steadiness or or a variety of different things you know i it it's what really excites me about this opportunity for for me as well as our collaboration is how do we leverage method and you know the appropriate products to to help people have a proper trained dog and do so in an efficient manner. Well, you, yeah. I mean, you, you said a couple of things in there that, you know, are, I think are dead on, you know, number one, like you said, the pendulum swing, um, from struggling. And I mean, I, I experienced this just having come along right before the internet age, um, you know, the struggle of just trying to find information at all. Uh, uh, you mm-hmm. know, and, and then to go into this world where just, you know, on my podcast alone, I mean, there's, you know, at this point, probably, you know, if not hundreds, many dozens of hours of, of just complete, just absolute knowledge dump out of my brain, you yeah. know, and, um, and then, and then several other trainers that I've had on too. And then you got Nick's podcast and, and Bob's podcast. And I mean, there's plenty out there for people to access. And then there's, just um, volumes and volumes and volumes that at your fingertips. And so I, I know it can be confusing and what a wonderful platform ugly dog can, can potentially be to help people narrow it down. Guy, you know, here's your gear. If you're going to do this, here's a book, here's what you're going to need to, to go with the book, you know? And I, I, that's the first place my brain went when, when I heard you were doing this was like, man, I can, you know, get my clients to a place and hopefully get you to get an inf- inventory together where it's like, okay, here's your one-stop shop for the equipment you're going to need. Sure. And and you're going to know from the word go. And I think that's, that's super important. And then, you know, and then number two, it's like, like you said, the rising 
tide or the <laughs> the tide right rising tide lifting all ships. Um, the the internet and you and I have both written for the Tom Beckby Field Journal. Yeah, uh, and and you know also and I think it's wonderful. There's a there's kind of a hack there for driving business, but at the same time, it's one of my favorite places to go read now. And so you're going to have that opportunity through, through your site as well mm-hmm. to just have information available to everybody. And and I know it, the, the cool thing is, is you're now going to have the opportunity to curate that in such a way that it's going to help people, uh, you know, make the decisions they need to make, especially around gear moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. As well as even just being a resource, for um you know so for that one training questions but even even hunting right i mean the whole point is you know you train a bird dog to go hunting um i've, I've been accused of of asking people like do we have a training or a test dog or do we have a hunting dog which one is it <laughs> yeah. um and and for me it's hunting dogs and i'm always going to lean that way and so um you know helping folks have you know f- figure out what that looks like for them you know um it, it's very often I get folks that reach out um, through social media or phone calls or text messages. You know, I'm thinking about going to chase this particular bird in this particular area of the country. Do you have any advice for me? How does that work? Um, you know, what ideas do you have? How do you plan a trip? Um, all, of, all of those types of things that as a, as a newer person, you know, or somebody that ha- doesn't, doesn't have people close to them that do big road trips or, um, you know, haven't really explored bird hunting around where they are. It's really fun for me to share that knowledge. You know, I've been really fortunate with just from my own, you know, hunts and, and adventures to the things that I've been able to learn and glean and experience working for two of the major conservation groups in the upland bird space to have a lot of knowledge to share with folks. And then I'm not talking, you know, Hey, here's a pin. Um, I don't, I don't particularly believe in that, but more, all right, if you're going to go to a general area, this is what you look for from a cover type. Right. Um, you know, so I'm like this weekend, I'm going up to RGS's grouse camp to be a mentor. And I'm so excited to take a couple folks out and be like, all right, let's drive down some forest roads and let's talk about what habitat works and what habitat doesn't and where you should spend your time and how you should, you know, if you're going to come up for a day, how do you maximize your experience to get into the most birds for you and your dog? Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I've had, you know, for me, it's been, it's been kind of a, a bit of a road figuring that out. How do I bring, you know, my clients are kind of the people I have the most influence over my direct clients and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and we live and you've lived here, you know, we don't live in a place that's, that it feels like there's high barriers to entry to get into wild bird hunting down here. And I think they're actually much lower than people, uh, than, than people recognize when they first start, start out down here. And so there's sure. a, there's a big pin raised bird culture and I don't discount it. You know, there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with that. And I think if people want to go, uh, use a preserve for, um, you know, f- for just out and out entertainment, I've got, I've got no problem mm-hmm. with that, but to Absolutely. see, to see people and their dogs, light up when they experience that first wild bird moment because it's it's not comparable at all to a pin raised bird experience um and the way the dogs adapt and how quickly it can happen um but but also you know a dog that's kind of been used to going through the motions of training and to me anytime i'm working a dog on pin raised birds whether i be guiding a preserve 
or um, or training in the yard or even just going out and letting one of my dogs have a little fun, there's like this element of mundane and I don't mean to pick on it, you know, because it's it's valuable and it's a utility and I and I appreciate it. But it's not it's not the same thing. And and you can take a dog that feels maybe a little lackluster um, in a pen raised bird setting and and just watch them thrive when they have the opportunity for wild birds. And I made the mistake early when I got into this and I had been, you know, I'd been hunting woodcock pretty hard for, for several years at this point already. And I decided I would start guiding and it only took me a couple of years to figure out that I wasn't, I wasn't passing along what I was hoping to, to my clients. Um, and I was also not doing great by the resource. And, that, and that's not to pick on wild bird guides. Cause I think that there's nothing wrong with that either. But for me, it just wasn't, it wasn't what I was trying to accomplish. I wanted to get people out there and involved in the space and, and help them, you know, usher them into that on their own. And so I switched my model from, from just guiding and taking you to areas that I had either scouted or, or knew held birds to where now we get together and I just call it a training hunt. And we, we go out and, uh, and we do a little cyber scouting on our own with on X and, and then we catch up and we meet and we prospect an area together. And, you know, every once in a while you get skunked. Um, but it's pretty rare. Usually when you hit it right and you, you're paying attention to the migration and you start knowing what you're looking for, you can kind of stumble into new stuff and that's nothing more fun than going to a new place and, yeah. and finding those birds and that, and then those people I think have really, uh, gone on to, to achieve more success on their own after that experience than the ones I just kind of took to birds. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of my new model again, not to, not to knock anyone out there. I mean, if you want, if you need to get on birds, our time is limited, it's valuable. And there are people out there that are wonderful at what they do and can get you there. Um, but if what you're, you know, I think the experience is trying to learn how to do it on your own. You got to get out there and do it on your own, you know, and a little help is, is great, but you know, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, even I go back to too, the, the, on the, on the preserve or the release bird hunt too, you know, from a, from a training and education perspective, there's no, you know, you need that element of control to a certain extent. So, for sure. um, you know, both for the dog and for people. And so I think that there, there certainly is utility in that, but yeah, to your point, there is no better adventure than picking a place that you've never been and cutting the dog loose and having it all come together, whether that's somewhere new in your backyard or you drive a thousand miles. Um, it, it, there, for me, there is no better, better joy than, than figuring it out. Yeah. It's, it's so awesome. And, and yeah, and it's, it's hard to have these conversations without sounding like you're disparaging pin raised birds. And, and you, you made a really good point there that it's, it's useful for developing the control. And I've told, I've said this a million times that, you know, it's harder to, uh, to break a dog out on pin raised birds than it is on wild birds. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it, it's a, it's a completely different experience and it requires, in my opinion, a higher level of training. And, and so there's a lot of usefulness in that. And I love the testing, you know, whether it be through NAVDA or you're running field trials on pin raised birds or whatever, you know, it's not necessarily going to equate to a great bird finder out the gate. Um, but I think a dog that can get it figured out on birds that are that much more tempting once you know once given the opportunity to gain some experience on wild birds i think they can get there faster um, yeah they bring a they bring a level of, of pre-polish to the table that's right. um you know it's it's funny a, a very dear friend and i 
we're having this conversation at the Invitational because we're both judges. And, and we believe that a lot of times we can, as you know, and I'd be curious on your take um, as, a, as a UKC judge, there's a lot of times where you can tell if a dog's a wild bird dog. Um, yeah. just because of the way, you know, the, just the way they attack a field or the way that they handle scent, um, particularly, you know, even in a training or a testing scenario, you get some running birds, like how they approach that, mm-hmm. um, is very telling. Um, and those are some of our most fun because it, you know, and it may not in a training or a testing scenario may not always go exactly how you want it to for the test or the trial. Um, but from a wild bird hunting perspective, it's, it's so fun to be like, no, I, that's exactly what I want that dog to do in this particular scenario, you know, relocate on its own or, um, it's, you know, track or whatnot. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about. I actually have a friend named Colin Johnson out of Texas. He's a French Brittany guy and I've judged him a couple of times in trials and he has, uh, um, he's a wild bird hunter through and through. Um, and I, and I always appreciate the fact that he's willing to drop his wild bird dogs because he rarely gets opportunities on pin raised birds, mm-hmm. um, and come out and kind of test them and show. And it, it, it like, to your point, it doesn't always work out in his favor, but when you watch his dogs approach the course and approach, especially like those just dumb walking birds, they, it, it's really impressive because his dogs will move probably when they shouldn't. They do a little bit of self relocating. He runs, mm-hmm. I think, on blues a lot and stuff. Yeah. And so those dogs just learn how to kind of hurt them. But the but the dogs always want to leave the birds on the ground. And that's the mm-hmm. fun part. So they're like, you know, you might walk four hundred yards with this dog trailing a stupid quail through a pine stand, you know, but they're just creeping like a panther behind them the whole time. And it's it's beautiful to watch but it yeah it's it's not always the easiest thing to judge <laughs> but it always makes me a little sad when i gotta be like all right you, we gotta stop the dog for a little bit you know? yeah yeah that is unfortunate but it's you know that there are we agree to the system of the test or the trial and so we've, right. we've got to recognize the systems are imperfect sometimes that's for, that for sure and i mean we got yeah and you gotta you gotta make it uh tenable and you know you have yeah. to be able to look at it and say this is an objective standard to meet so i, I yeah again i i love them they have their place wild bird hunting though for me and and for you too like that's the ultimate objective and as a dog trainer i appreciate the games i really do i have as much fun participating in the games as an as an overall approach to my lifestyle mm-hmm. as i do you know my my love of wild bird hunting, but I don't, you know, when you talk about being in the the moment, that acute moment, uh, nothing quite matches that, especially when you're in that new cover and you get a whatever rising, um, to the gun. And that's, that's what, what it's all about there for dog and handler. Absolutely. So, well, yeah, I mean, I guess we've, we, I mean, we've mused on all these wonderful things that we love about the game. <laughs> we've, uh, you know, we've discussed your, you know, your new journey here with, with ugly dog, but while I've got you on the line, you know, I want to take advantage of, of your knowledge and an interest in the conservation space and the nonprofit space. And just maybe, um, you know, this is going to be a little open-ended and not super fair, but I would love to just hear kind of your rundown on what you think the state of, of conservation is in, in the upland space in particular, but what organizations you like, and, and you, obviously you don't need to 
disparage anything here sure. um, that you don't like. But, you know, if people are out there uh, with thinking of places to put their time and their money, mm-hmm. you know, I think you're, you're a great guy to, to kind of help point them in the right direction. So what, what do you got in that regard? Well, I, I really appreciate that, Grayson. Thank you. Um, you know, I would say the three, four, four that come to mind on a national level um, would be from, from sort of like top down would be Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. If folks aren't familiar with TRCP, it's sort of an umbrella organization for about 40 other, you know, more specific conservation groups. And they advocate significantly on a national level, uh, particularly in Congress. Uh, to pass uh, conservation-based laws, whether that be uh, you know, Recovering America's Wildlife Act, you know, fully funding the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Um, you know, they are a major player in Washington, D.C., and really provide additional uh, support to broader organizations, whether that be ducks or pheasants or quail or grouse or turkeys. Um, TRCP is a, is a really major player just in, from a systems perspective. You know, then from there, um, I actually got into conservation by finding Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, or BHA, um, and, and had been involved um, both in Wisconsin when I lived there, and as well as North Carolina uh, during my time there. Um, it's a, a really important organization that is a really a watchdog for um, for public lands, both in terms of quality as well as amount. Um, there, There is this constant debate in the United States about what to do with public land and whether or not um, we should we should keep it or sell it. Um, and as somebody that doesn't own land, um, it's really important for me to have places that I can go run a dog. I mean, particularly from a bird dog perspective, you need space. Um, and even if you had 300 acres, uh, eventually, you know, you and the dog would get probably a little bored of going in the same circle on that 300 acres. Um, so you need, you need a variety of, of places to go. So BHA is important from that perspective. Sure. And then from there, um, and maybe this helps more on an involvement perspective is, you know, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, as well as, as RGS and, and AWS, Rough Grouse Society and American Woodcock Society. You know, if, if you're a bird dog person and you've got a particular bird of passion or you're in an area with some of those, Look at the local chapters and get involved. Both of them, both organizations, focus on working with local folks to ensure that they have a say in how that money is spent. Um, I would say, you know, I want to give specific kudos to to Rough Grouse Society and American Woodcock Society. You know, a number of years ago, right in the heart of COVID, they recognized that their model for conservation delivery was not working. And they pivoted and they caught a lot of flack for that. But now, if you look at the numbers of what they're producing in terms of of timber harvested and and forest uh, habitat management that they're accomplishing, it's truly incredible and will only grow. Um, So I want to give them them some kudos for that, you know, particularly even in your neck of the woods and the mountains in the southeast, you know, that is a tough nut to crack. And they've made a lot of headway down there, uh, which is really important for the bird on the landscape. I'm I'm glad to hear you say that because I you know it I'll admittedly tell you like I I you know I keep a very casual eye on on what's going on and uh, you know and there's there's so many voices you have dis, dissenting voices supporting voices and 
And I, I certainly remember well, you know, the last couple of years as, as RGS was making that shift, uh, and, and really catching a lot of flack from, you know, from especially people in my neck of the woods, uh, and I, you know, at that point it was just the, the state of the country was so volatile and there felt mm-hmm. like so much vitriol around it. It was, it, my brain just automatically shut it off. But, yeah. you know, the, the most, I think what's important to recognize is like, you know, we have the opportunity to be involved. So if you don't like the direction it's heading, number one, you know, if you care about it, then there's a, there's a very easy answer Then get in there and get your voice heard. And and there's an opportunity for all of us to do that, you know, but number two is, you know, you either have to, you know, you either need to get involved or you have to make a decision on whether or not the, these people have a real altruistic nature if they're trying to do good. And I, I believe that I don't believe anybody's putting themselves in that space to just become rich or chase clout or anything like that. It's hard work for very little love on occasion. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, that's a place where I need to put some energy back. Um, you know, as, as a, as a bird hunter is getting back into those conservation organizations. And, um, and, and the two you mentioned at first, uh, which were TRCP and, and backcountry hunters and anglers. I, I'm a member of, uh, of um, BCHA. Uh, I need to get more involved with TRCP because I hear it a lot and I hear people I respect talk about it. And I, I, what I really like about both of those organizations um, is that they are big tent kind of deals mm-hmm. where it's yeah. not, you know, they're not just specifically looking out for the interest of, of bird doggers like us or, you know, elk hunters or turkey hunters. There's so much fragmentation and, and there, and it's, and it's necessary. Obviously we need these organizations to focus on their specific missions and there needs to be specificity. Um, but really at the end of the day, we need to not allow that to drive division at all. And, uh, and that's something I think, and I, I do feel like we're moving in the right direction as a as a community, but I've been a little concerned, especially amongst bird dog types. You know, it's so easy for us to kind of camp off and say, well, we're better than you for this reason, or we don't like what you do. But, um, you know, any divisiveness in, in the modern era if for people that are into uh, into the outdoors is, is dangerous, in my opinion. And so we've got to look at, at, to unity in some you know, in some capacity. And so I think for me, I need to, to really put more of my, you know, my energy into, into those kind of things. And that's, you know, kind of along the theme of our talk here is, uh, you know, I think BCHA and TRCP are wonderful. I think, of course we need the rough grouse society. I'm a, uh, I target both of those species, the American woodcock and, and the rough grouse, um, but pheasants forever. And, uh, and quail forever have really also in recent years. And I guess in the past decade, seems like they've really been thriving and they're a juggernaut yeah, uh, for sure. And, and they're putting a ton of money and effort into stuff too. So it's like, yeah, um, it's yeah. wonderful. In QF in particular, you know, um, from a, a, how does this impact a bird hunter? Um, both in terms of quality habitat, you know, they, they do really well in I, an understanding that we can do a lot of work on public land and that's important. But if we want to ensure 
viable and sustainable populations of these species, which is our upland bird and, and other upland species, whether it game or non-game species, we have to be big tent and work on private lands um, because we those you know we we've got to sort of do landscape scale habitat restoration, and they have done fantastic at that. Yeah. Additionally, they're really working on two things. One is um, acquiring more and more land for public use, whether that be direct public land ownership by by buying and transferring land to state and federal agencies, or working um, to enroll acres into access programs. Um, you know, recently, one of my really good buddies, Jake Hansen, um, out in South Dakota, they just announced that they're they're working on a program to enroll about 10,000 acres a year for 10 years um, into public access programs. And a part of that, uh, to basically, they're working to like incentivize folks to do more of like a walk-in program. But a part of that is those acres have to be under a habitat management plan um, to to ensure that, um, you know, that it's quality places yeah. to go hunt. You know, I've certainly pulled up to some walk-in areas in states and been like, well, this is oh, cool. It's <laughs> a cut cornfield. I can't, you know, with no hedgerows and no buffers and no grass and been like, oh, okay. Well, if I was goose hunting, maybe, but, um, you know, from a bird hunter perspective, there's nothing here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've had that same experience and I will say it's been a few years back now, but, um, I was in Eastern Montana and uh, there were PF signs everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. they had a hand They're just, and, and I'm sure it's, it's only gotten better, you know, mm-hmm. but they're, they really do. They come in and, and all the places you saw a pheasants forever sign that if they were involved in the piece of property you were on the hat, the habitat had, had, had attention paid to it. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's key. And that, and that's what it really comes down to. I'm a, I'm a huge believer. I mean, as somebody growing up in the Southeast and with the, you know, the plight of the Bob White quail, um, you know, I was used to all the wife wives tales as a kid. It's the fire ants, it's the Turkey, it's the whatever coyotes and everything else. But if, you know, also uh, it being uh, a, uh, what's the best way to describe how my college life was, but I was a geography major and I guess I've got the best job you could have with a geography major. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, but I got really into, and it was the early days of remote sensing. And I was looking at old aerials of, of the state from, you know, you can track them from like the twenties all the way up through your soil surveys. Uh, if you go check them out. And if you look at aerials from like, the earliest days of airplanes flying over taking picture, which I guess would be late twenties, early thirties through the modern era. It was like, there was not a piece of mature timber in the entire state of North Carolina in in those days. They just cut the whole place down. It was a mosaic of just like fallow fields and cutovers and a little bit of, you know, fat farming. Uh, And, and uh, I can remember it was 1984 and my grandfather ran in and woke me up at like seven o'clock in the morning to show me a deer standing in his garden. And he had never seen one on his property mm-hmm. prior to that, you know, and now we're, uh, we're blessed with the, uh, with abundance. If you're if yeah. you like to take a deer and a Turkey on occasion, but you know, there's, there's rarely any, you know, early successional growth anywhere. And that's what we're, you know, lacking. And I think uh, Bob White in particular, such a prolific Mm -hmm. species that if you give them a little bit of habitat, they're going to move in. 
Um, Correct. And so it's just nice to know that there's these organizations out there that with that in mind and uh, and they're starting to to make some headway in in the Carolinas in particular. And so you know, I've been lucky. I've, I've found a couple of Coveys in the last couple of years just kicking around. So they're out here. Um, they are. They're a resilient, resilient little bird. And, uh, I I fully expect that they'll continue to to rebound. You know, it's cyclical, right? You know, to your point, in the twenties, having cutting everything down wasn't okay. At the same time not you know where we are more today of not cutting anything down and not made it you know just letting stuff go yep. is also not the yeah. the appropriate thing and so from again that pendulum analogy how do we get back towards the middle of like all right so one you know cutting everything down doesn't work not touching anything doesn't work how do we meet in the middle and say all right how do we manage this you know for the highest and best use for all and that includes wildlife that includes clean water clean air agriculture, business, tourism, all of these things. Yeah. And I mean, I think we're, we're obviously at a place in history, you know, with the, with the population of our country and everything else that where we need regulation. Mm -hmm. Um, you you know, it's, I am, I am somebody that's, I'm somewhat libertarian. Uh, if I, if I ever would ever label myself politically, but uh, I also recognize the need for, a collective. Um, so yeah. I, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough place to be. I, I mean, I'm, I'm always struggling with my own beliefs around these things, but if we are going to have public land, then we have a responsibility to, uh, to manage the habitat. You know, if we, if we left it to nature, nature would manage the habitat for us. And, or, mm-hmm. you know, the indigenous peoples prior to that, they, they had a major influence on the landscape, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, incorrect to think that, you know, in a time when this country was, was somewhat empty, that there wasn't a mosaic landscape, that there wasn't diversity of habitat. Um, and, and now this kind of monoculture, especially the hardwood forests, um, they're, they're essentially a desert for, <laughs> you know, for, for many of the species we care about, but also if you're not a, you know, if you're not a deer, a bear, a squirrel or a turkey, it's pretty hard to make it in that kind of place. Yeah. The bottom end of the food chain is pretty sparse. (laughs) That's right. That's right. So, so yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the most conversation conservation talk I've, I've done on this, this podcast, but I hope people hear that, understand it, are aware. And, and then, you know, and recognize that that's, that's such an enormous, uh, uh, you know, Im- important place for our for us to put our time and our resources now, so that we can enjoy it into the future. And then, kind of circling back to what we talked about before, with like the youth coming into NAVD, I love that um, something we talked about on our first attempt. And I didn't mention this, but Mike and I actually sat down last week live from the Invitational. I was so pumped we were going to make this announcement <laughs> live and we, you know, we found a little corner and I, I, I got you, stole you away from your like super busy schedule as test secretary there. And then of course, like, uh, you know, um, you know, par for the course for me, uh, my, I just kind of couldn't figure out how to make my computer work. <laughs> well, technical enough to get difficulties. Technical, difficult, de- technical difficulties. That's right. But, you know, we had, we had, we had touched on some other things and, and, you know, there's so many more women in the space now than I think that even in just recent years past, I, I, uh, that's, um, 
I think that's going to be really important to us moving forward. The kids, uh, um, people from diverse, diverse ethnic and racial backgrounds. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we've got to recognize these issues and, and not in regardless of where we fall politically, just be aware of the fact that if we're not welcoming uh, to new people of all ilks coming into this place, then uh, then not only are we not going to grow, we're going to begin to wither and die, in my opinion. And so I think it's super important from a recruitment perspective to to pay attention to that and to make room. Absolutely. It's, you know, so another anecdote on that from the Invitational, um, I think might have been Saturday. I think it was Saturday because um, I was gunning. I uh, I got to gun a brace um, with a gentleman, um, a Cuban gentleman who barely spoke English uh, from Miami that was running his dog in the Invitational. And his daughter had to come and translate for him, you know, because you, you're getting directions from judges and different things. And, um, and it was so fun to watch. I mean, that was one of the best uh, braces that I watched because the relationship between him and that dog was incredible. Um, and it, and it also sort of shows this like universality, right? Like, and, and I got to talking to to him and his daughter and they're like, no, like we hunt everything, you know, we hunt squirrels and quail and this and that, um, you know, all around Miami. And you wouldn't think that, you know, from a traditional bird hunter perspective, but like there's these, these folks getting after it. The even crazier thing about that gentleman, because he is so far South, um, he had to train, he had to, to learn NAVDA a lot on his own. Um, and so he certainly trained with the chapter, um, but he did the majority of his training, um, you know, based off of the NAVDA Green Book, which was a book written really at the, the onset of NAVDA, you know, over 40 years ago. Um, nice. And just sort of like put his head down and went, all right, well, this is what the book says about the test. So this is what we're going to do. And, uh, and it was a lot of fun, um, to, to be with him and, and to try to, all right, like as a gunner, like, how do I communicate with this gentleman who, you know, doesn't speak English. And so how to, uh, so, you know, it's super hot that day. He was running the last race of the day. We put the dog in the water tub and I, um, I had to sort of mime, like get the dog's ears wet to cool it off, um, you know, to help. And he was like, oh, okay. And, you know, and then he started doing it and his daughter came over and I, helped explain to her why, you know, you want to wet a dog's ears because there's a lot of blood vessels there and they'll help cool them down quicker. Um, and, and just the appreciation um, the, that he and, and she expressed about being welcomed and accepted and, and being worked with despite the language barrier was, was really fun. Yeah, it's, I think NAVDA has, um, I've, I've just, I'm, I was so impressed uh, with this invitation when the last one was wonderful too. I mean, it's a, you know, it's become, they've got a tradition of excellence at this point. I think they absolutely deserve their standing in our, in our, you know, little subculture as, uh, you know, as, as just being an enormously successful organization. But, you know, when I was out running this past week and I, um, you know, I was not having the best day in the field ever. So for those that don't know, Wayne and I did not get our pass. Wayne did a wonderful job in the places that, uh, that he didn't quite get over the hump were areas that I kind of let him down by f- being overconfident in over the summer and then recognizing like, uh Oh, you know, cause I, I just hate training in the heat. So I hear of a guy coming from Miami and I'm mm-hmm. always griping about a September test and well, I've got no <laughs> excuse if that guy can come up and do it. You know, there's, there's no reason for me not to do it, but 
you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a total disaster. We were just kind of hanging on by a thread. And so it was, it, it made it a little more fun kind of hanging on the words of the judges there in the, in the afternoon. Sure. But on my run, my gunner man was like, I mean, they're always awesome guys. They're always very supportive and helpful, but I, I had an older gentleman named Randy, um, who was a lights out shot number one. And, um, it, but he was like, every time I was at the water tub, he was there with a towel hooked off his utility belt to hand to yep. me for me to dry my hands off. Always had his hand out for my gun without me even having to look for him, you know, and it's just that experience when you're having a day where you're stressed out and you're on edge and you're trying to get your dog over the hump, it, it means so much. And I just have this like overwhelming sense of gratitude to Randy for, for just being that guy that day, he made my day so much easier. And it was, I, it was almost like a sigh of relief every time we hit the pool because he was there. You could tell how experienced he was. He'd been around it a long time. He just had a very calming effect on me. And so yeah, uh, I'm sure you had that opportunity for, for those folks. And it's just, you know, wonderful community, you know? Yeah. That, the community piece, nowhere is the the level of community in NAVDA more more prevalent and this is kind of what i my hope for ugly dog as a as a business eventually is to foster the same thing is that everyone at the invitational wants everyone to be successful and you hear it in scores as they're as they're going down everybody knows that a two means you're out and so as scores are getting red you know it's a four this a four that a three here a four here another three and and when somebody you know invariably somebody's going to get a two and that means they don't pass and the whole crowd you know 100 plus people you hear oh <laughs> you know like and, yeah. and they don't know the person from adam but yeah. it's just like everybody wants everybody to pass yeah and i love it the the club culture is so cool because you get that guy that passes or that lady that passes or that kid that passes and their club members are around them and it's like there's you know without having any of the um, you know, the too, too high a level competition between teams, mm -hmm. you, you get this team vibe and, you know, they do the customary cold water dump on the guy. And it's just like, uh, it's like watching somebody win the Super Bowl every time somebody passes, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and it's, and it is, it's so much fun. And it's, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, I've, I've been so hot and cold on Navda because it is, it's, it's a very hard testing system. And, and I really recognize this time my shortcomings and what they are. And, and it's that I don't put enough time and effort into the club side. Um, I, I really do believe to, you know, you can be successful without it. Um, but I, I kind of tend to put my blinders on. I, I like, dude, there's like two or three weeks at a time where I won't leave the farm. Yeah. And that's my problem. I need to adjust my life to to do that. But I've kind of gotten used to going through my motions here. And I know as a professional that without going out and experiencing other venues, other, uh, you know, other people and other dogs that it's, you're not setting yourself up for success, but I fall into that trap over and over again. And then you go to the invitational and you see it like the teamwork aspect yeah, uh, it's so so important, and it and those are the people that tend to succeed the most. With the cut, the people that come from the strong clubs, mm -hmm. uh, that's why they're strong clubs because they keep, you know, whether they're newbies or old hands or whatever, they just keep producing good dog handler teams. And so I I love that. I I I love the club atmosphere, um, and I think that's really important and something that they have that it's hard to find in a lot of other places. Yeah.
Yep, absolutely. But I mean, you're you've even started doing that um, with some of your your training opportunities, that more club style training opportunities, which I think is great because it not only helps the people that are coming, but it helps you. You know, you'll have that much more access to people and other dogs to train. And if you, know, if you need, you know, if you get there again, right from a backing perspective or an honor at the water perspective, you know, you'll have all of these, these folks that are going to be willing to put a dog down and help you. Well, and I, I love that. I'm glad to be able to offer that opportunity, but still at the end of the day, you know, my, my, I've got a home club and it's, it's foothills and mm-hmm. I love the people there. I enjoy training with them. And it's just something that I recognize leaving the invitational this year. I made a, uh, you know, a, a resolution to, to be more involved in Foothills chapter, because there's nothing I don't like about it. You know, my, my only reason for not being a regular attendee is because I allow myself to not get control of my schedule enough. And I just kind of lock myself into, to being here, um, and doing whatever, but I'm going to load up Luke and we're going to go over to the next club day. And whether we've got, we, right now we don't really have a we got a young prospect that needs to get out there and, and gain some experience just being around people. But, you know, I'm just ready to be more involved in that. And then of course the the stuff here at home is, you know, it's a, it, it I'm trying, I think the club environment is so important. So I, I like, I like addressing a crowd. I enjoy trying to help people in it, but I also recognize the value in like the teamwork thing. So I want the people that come out here that have been with me for a couple of years to take a bit of a leadership role too, and uh-huh. help people along and, and for people to, to the, the focus is for you to develop as a handler, not just me to get out there and train your dog in front of you, you know? And, and I think that's hopefully something that benefits people moving forward. Absolutely. I think it will be. So, well, we've, you know, we've been going, there's a, I guess to close, um, one, another nonprofit that I guess we didn't mention that I do want to talk about and talk about some things coming up would be the bird dog society. And they're not necessarily in the conservation space. Um, but they are a big tent organization for bird dog people. Sure. And, And so that's, that's something I'm excited. They're, they're a group I'm really pumped about getting more involved with. I'll be doing a, a, a bit of a presentation for them on September 30th. It's already sold out. Um, but I, I am really looking forward to, to being more engaged and involved with those guys and Terry Ann's there. And I'm, I'm really dropping all this to say that they're going to be, um, they're playing a major role in support of our St. Hubert's trial. Uh, coming up February 3rd and 4th of 2024. And I just am out there shamelessly promoting that because I want it to fill up and I want us to have a lot of fun. But if you, if you're interested in that at all, um, you know, reach out to me, but it's, it's going to be supporting the bird dog society and, uh, and we'll look forward to, to folks coming out and really Mike, I'm trying to, this is a ploy to get you in the mix. So, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so we want you down here man so if you sure. want to escape minnesota in february come see me okay um, yeah any anything else you know regarding ugly dog what you've got going on personally anything you want the people out there before we jump off to uh to maybe look into um yeah i would say it's it, the big things are if if folks you know 
need need gear for themselves or for their dogs um and you know for upcoming hunting season or training please give us a look uglydoghunting.com you can find us on facebook at ugly dog hunting um or instagram at, at uh, ugly dog hunt co um we're just starting out on instagram the business didn't have an account there uh beforehand so uh folks could could give us a follow over there we'd appreciate it um and i would also say you know because it's a it's a growing business um if folks go and they're looking for something in particular that we don't have drop me a line you know shoot me a message on social media or shoot me an email at, at info at uglydoghunting.com um i really i want this to be a community i want this to to be a, a relationship between between the business and you know bird dog folks um, you know, that is really important to me is, um, you know, making sure that we're fostering a relationship. I, I joke that a lot of the suppliers right now, a lot of their marketing just looks like a sort of a, a coupon book and, um, you know, the newspaper insert, if you will. It's more just this is what we have and this is what's on sale. And I'm, I really want Ugly Dog to be much more of a resource uh, than, than that. So, um, you know, feel free to, to reach out and, and give us a look. And like I said, if there's stuff that we don't have that you would like and think that would be helpful for a broader community, you know, please connect. I'd love to have that conversation. Yeah, guys, take, take Mike up on that. And I'll tell you, I just made my first, uh, order through Ugly Dog. It was, it was seamless and very easy. Um, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to, to doing more business with you. I, I mean, I'm, I break stuff all the time, so I'm also <laughs> super pumped to have Perfect. my, uh, my friend be, be the man at the helm that it can, sure. <laughs> that it can navigate me through all the customer service hurdles I face on a regular basis because I'm too lazy to actually pay attention to what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, but yeah, if it, you know, it, I think guys, like you heard me say before, you know, I knew that when I did this, if I was ever going to ever going to partner with, with a sponsor of any sort, or just another business that there were two things that were really important to me. And, and number one was that the service or the product be something I truly believe in. Um, and that the, the company in general, the business in general aligned with my values. And, and I'm very grateful that I get both of those things with Mike. Now, um, I, I know anything you're involved with is going to be top notch. So there's no worry in my mind about that. But, but more importantly, when you, when you're dealing with Mike, you're dealing with somebody that, uh, that cares and is, and, and his heart's in the right place. And I know that to be a fact. So Mike, thank you very much, bud. We'll end it here and, uh, and we'll do a check-in from time to time if that's okay with you and we'll, Absolutely. Just, we'll keep going, man. So guys get out there, look for Mike and ugly dog. Um, one more time with your email address, Mike info. Yeah. Info at ugly And again, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Thanks, Mike. We'll talk soon, man.
Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation, to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.